All right. What's going on here? All right. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Hey, thanks for coming and for sticking around. Hey, Lily, you want to just stay up here? Just we can do this together. It'd be great. So, so good. All right. So what we're going to do, as I mentioned uh, during church, is we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. I was going through the questions that you guys submitted, and there's a handful of questions. And this one just struck me as worth maybe the whole, the whole hour. Um, so the question that was asked was this. Practically, and I like that word, like practically, actually, in the real universe, how do we do spiritual warfare? And so if by some chance we're, we're done with this topic before the end of the hour, we move on to another question. There's several that are, that are worth, worth talking through. Um, but I thought this was worth maybe just really giving, giving our time to. So before I give you my, my thoughts on this, I want, I want you to think about when you have either uttered the phrase or you've heard people say, oh, I think this is spiritual warfare, right? Sometimes there, you just live in your life and stuff's going on. And, and then there's certain flags or triggers or like, oh, I know what this is. You know what this is? This is spiritual warfare, okay? So what, are the, what, what is that? When, when, when in life do we tend to think, oh, this is Satan? What are the kinds of things that you hear this about? Okay, say that again. Name calling. Name calling. So if you observe people calling each other names, you're like, that's the devil behind that. Yes. Okay, great. All right, good. What are the, when does this kind of topic get raised up for you guys? Or when have you seen it? If anything at all. Yeah, Don? When it's a huge onslaught. When it's like thing after thing after yes. thing. And they're often not really related. Yes. But it's just like every direction. Yes. Does that resonate with you guys? It's like, man, we got in a car accident, and then my kid had to get stitches, and then I lost my job, and it's like a spiritual, like when there's this, this onslaught is a great word for it. We tend to have this sense of like, if a whole bunch of really bad stuff's happening, and, and, and as you said, seemingly from like unrelated events, and we think, oh, maybe, maybe that's, and I quote, spiritual warfare, okay? That's common. Yeah, Jennifer? Okay, great. So you're laying in bed. Is this, is this, then we're in a constant state of spiritual warfare, right? I mean, how many of you guys, like, is 3 a.m. like a bad time for you? Is this, are you familiar with this idea? Like, you, you fall asleep, and like by 3 o'clock, your mind is like spinning. Some of you, and I heard this, I don't know if this is a helpful tip, but I've heard that if you can't fall asleep, it's more likely that what you're suffering from is depression. And if you fall asleep, and then you wake up, and you can't go back to sleep, that tends to be more of, more of anxiety, and I don't, know if that, I don't know if that survives all scrutiny, but I have found in my life that like 3 o'clock, it's often when my mind is like just spinning away, right? And so is that, is there a spiritual component to that? Great. Any other things here? Spiritual warfare? Yeah, John? When I have uh, one of those episodes, and I had one of them uh, last night, uh, I've found that uh, meditating on Scripture turns it off very quickly. Yeah. So John's already moving into solution mode of like, laying in bed and your mind is spinning, can you move your mind from these thoughts to, to God's Word? I had a counselor once tell me, Tim, you need to talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself. And I think what he was pointing to is the phenomena you're describing. Let me, let me grab the narrative. Like, I can go down these trails, and they can get very dark very quick, but let me grab that and then instead bring Scripture. Kind of living out Romans 12, right? Don't be, trans, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we do that by, one way we, we can do that is the recitation or meditation on what he's said in his word. 
That's great. Okay, one more. Spiritual warfare. Kelly. Totally. Okay, so what Kelly said is if we got some event going on, some big outreach, some big Christian thing going on, and then like the speakers fail, you know, like the electricity dies or the, you know, the roads flood, you're like, oh, that's Satan, and he's like throwing grenades into your situation. So, you know, Andrew Peterson's coming here to do his Christmas concert, right? Remember that? That was amazing if you were here for that. And then like, you know, the lights stop working. That's clearly Satan is trying to do that. That's, that these, are the, these are the areas in which we tend to invoke it, okay? So... With all of that said, it's what, we, what we tend to think is these things. There's an onslaught of things. We've got some, you know, grenade getting tossed into the thing. I decided last night, when I was, I was pondering this question, practically, how do, we, how do we battle? How do we, you know, enter into spiritual warfare? I thought, well, here's an idea. Let's see what the Bible actually says about this. So I just did a real quick study on, uh, on two questions. All right, this is quick. This is not, I don't, I don't represent this as comprehensive, but I do think it's representative so number one, what does the Bible say are his schemes? What does he do? We have a playbook. We know the kind of garbage that he tends to pull. And there's a whole bunch of stuff recorded in Scripture. What are his, what are his go-tos, right? Do we see in the Scriptures evidence that he likes to, like, you know, blow out the electricity when Andrew Peterson's coming, right? Maybe, but we actually don't. Um, and then, not only, not only what does it say that he tends to do, what are his go-to levers, but what does it specifically tell us? To do like does the Bible actually say here's how you wage spiritual warfare here's what you do in light of the devil and his schemes do these things and so I just went through and I made a quick compendium of this and maybe you guys if you don't help me don't mind helping me pass these out from a very long distance don't get near anybody just like wad it up and throw it at them yeah. and uh, and I will get up here and I'll do it too and so you going that way a couple here yeah. Here, you might throw on these over that side. Here, just go in there and be great. All right. If you guys want to share, I'm not sure I'm ever going to have. Hey, Dars. Ruth. Great, great. Yeah. How are you guys? We got anybody heading their way? Who's, who's feeling left out? Here. All right. So, 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 so. I should have made more, and I can make more. Okay, and I can get you guys some more. Here's all I did. I just went through, and I just kind of like, I'm a big, big fan of, I've told you guys this in the past, I'm a huge fan of creating in your mind like this organization system. Where does the Bible talk about the devil? Where does the Bible talk about schemes? Where does the Bible talk about the evil one? And I just went through, and I just did a real quick grab and cut and paste of a bunch of passages that are talking about him, and then I organized them. Okay, which ones are describing, this is the stuff that, he, I'm going to need one of those, by the way. Wait, I got one here, because mm -hmm. we may not have enough. What is the stuff that he does, and what is the stuff that we are supposed to do? And we have extras? Does anybody not have one? Back here? Sarah Lynn. I feel like you're being just, okay, I'm, I don't have a mask on. I'm probably killing you all right now. You got anyone over there? We good? Good? Anybody else? Good? Okay. So, I want you to, we're just going to go through this. Just take a look. Let's just observe what he does, okay? 
So listen with me here. We'll start, and it's, start on the side that says, first his schemes, okay? And all we're going to do, if we're going to go into, if you are imagining, if you're a Marine, I would imagine that you're going to be trained in like, this is the stuff that our enemies are doing. Be aware. This is their playbook. This is, what, this is how they tend to wage war. So let's notice what he does, okay? So um, for the sake of the tape, maybe I'll just read, but I just want you to reflect on these, okay? So John 8, I think, is a foundational text. Anything that we want to do, we want to understand. We don't want to just make stuff up. What has God actually taught us? So John 8 says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love, he's talking to the Pharisees. If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now I'm here. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? It's because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. That's strong. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Okay? What are the, what are the, there's one, what's the dominant aspect there? Just a super obvious one. He's a liar, he's a liar, he's a liar. And what else? What are the other kind of sub-elements here? He's a murderer, right? So he, he wants to li- withhold truth, take life. And there's a third thing that's a little less obvious. Okay, so we don't... Yeah, there's, so there's something that, that like, Second Corinthians 4 says, the God of this age, and that's the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see. That's a visual metaphor. But this is the auditory version of Second Corinthians 4. You can't hear it. And there's a reality that not, not just that he lies, but that he makes it impossible for it to hear and receive the truth. Very good. Kelly? He also distorts our desires. Yes, right? Absolutely. Kelly's saying he distorts our desires, right? So he says, you want to carry out your father's desire. Your desires drive everything you ever do all day long, right? You, you never, ever, ever do anything without thinking that it's going to make you happy. Now, you're often extremely bad at choosing what will make you happy, but this is universally, this is the drive, right? Whether you choose to eat the donut or do the, or do the, do the crunches, it's the same ultimate desire. I think I'm going to be happier with the abs. I'm going to be happier with like cinnamon sugar on my lips, right? Whichever way it goes, your desires drive you. But your desires are modifiable. You will never escape the driving power of your desires, but you can modify those desires. You can change your flavor, Quig, from whatever garbage you were eating when you were a kid to hummus, right? You, can, you actually can move to the point that you want hummus, Right? <laughs> And we can desire things that will end in life, desire things that end in death. And so he makes us so we want stuff that he wants us to want. And none of you are immune to this. This is, on, this is happening, part of the spiritual warfare. He's going to lie to you. He's going he's to destroy your desires. All these things are happening. Was there a hand? Yeah, Robin? Yes. Um, the more we expose ourselves to things of the world, and I, I don't know about anybody else, but if I have like a week that I've just been too busy and have not been in the Word, it sh- starts showing up in how I act. 
Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And so, the, so have you, you've observed this, right? If there's something that, you, that, that your desires are shaped by the things that you actually do, right? And so it's like, it's most obviously seen in a, in a straight up full on addiction that there's some behavior and your brain starts to crave more of that behavior. But it's true at a much subtler level as well. There's a, there's a number of ways that you can shape our desires, but one is by simply getting us to do it. Uh, it's like, I, I'm sure, uh, actually, I'm not sure, but I've been told that, like, you know, ballet is lovely, it's wonderful. Well, I don't think it is, and I don't have the slightest interest in watching ballet, but it probably might be the case that if I wasn't so completely ignorant of ballet that I would develop a capacity to see and enjoy its beauty, right? And then actually want to eat the hummus that is ballet, right? But I can also just stay in these lower art forms that are just more gratifying but don't actually exalt the soul, right? And so our desires can be shaped. Okay, so John 8, keep going. Acts 13, this one, these, a couple of these are pretty simple. Paul's going on this trip, and he meets this guy who's a sorcerer, got a couple different names. And in verse 9, it says, Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Right? If he, if he is essentially a child of the devil, what that means is that you're doing what he does. You're imitating him. And the essence of what he is and does again, is deceit. This is a rich theme. He lies, he lies, he lies. This is a deceiver. He's lying to you. He's lying to you all the time. You see it again in Revelation 12 and Revelation 20. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He leads the world astray. He's a deceiver. Revelation 20, the dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil or Satan, he was thrown into this abyss to keep him from deceiving the nations. I cannot emphasize enough how much his central play is to lie to you. And you would just be really, it would be very unreasonable if you don't think you've ever fallen for it. You fall for it. We fall for it all the time. So you live in a world where somebody hates you and he's lying to you and he's really, really good at it, okay? Foundationally, if we're gonna enter into spiritual warfare, we are on alert to deception being the norm, okay? Number one. Number two, this one's a little more complex. Look at Matthew 13. Jesus tells a story in verse 3. Got to tease this one out. He tells, us, he tells him a parable saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he, while he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and birds came and ate it up. Okay, that's the part of the story that we're going to look at. Birds came and ate it up, and, the, and his disciples are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, What? Annette, who are the birds, and what does it mean that they ate the thing? So they come to him, and they Jesus, tell us this. This is really the one parable. Well, the clearest is a couple times, but one of a, Actually, he does it twice in Matthew. So Matthew 13, I mean, um, where he actually gives the answer key. He kind of explains the punchline to the joke. And he says in verse 19, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Okay? So his primary play is to lie, to deceive. What's this? It's not quite the same, but it's related. What does he do? Steals the truth. So it's, still, it's the same. It's the, kind of the flip side of lying. Rather than placing a lie in, he's taking the truth out. He has some means to come in here. And what is the, how does he steal the truth? What is the other thing that it says there in the explanation? It's cognitive. They don't understand, right? 
Have you ever found yourself in a situation where like, this is not clicking, I I can't make, I can't, this doesn't cohere, this doesn't make sense? Or have you ever sought to explain something to someone and it's like, man, I'm pulling out every trick I know to make this as plain and receivable as I can, but I'm just not getting, it's just not penetrating, you're not getting it. That might be one of these things, right? Some game that he plays to blind, again, it's 2 Corinthians 4, to blind the minds, John 8, to make it so you cannot hear. If we can keep you from understanding the truth, then it's a whole lot easier for you to kind of be, for you to buy the lie, right? Jennifer? That's why you have to stay in the Word and study the Word, because I'll be reading something, and I've read it a hundred times, and yes. finally it's like, oh, that's what it means. Yes. But I didn't get it. Yes. Here. That's right. And you're, and you're claiming what we need to do is stay in the Word because this is, sometimes it does take 5, 10, 25 times to, to get a click. Or maybe it's not 25 times, but we just need to live a lot life and have enough experiences before this starts to make sense, right? I didn't understand. I didn't get this. Like, uh, like I've told you before, like I went through a season of pretty significant, like, depression and anxiety. And prior to that, Everything I heard about depression and anxiety was kind of blah, 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 whatever, right? And then you live through it, and you're like, oh, okay, now I get it, right? And that's the way we, so we're, we're going to be growing, but we're growing because we're constantly returning to his word, and we're going to read it at different stages in our life, different seasons in our life, different experiences after we've learned other things, and then stuff starts to click, right? And we want to always be giving ourselves the opportunity to know and to understand truth and not remain in this place of high vulnerability that comes from ignorance. Ignorance leaves you in a really bad place, right? And Satan would love you to misunderstand what he said. So that's what he does. Look at the other thing. This is a weirder one too, as I think. Another ploy of his, Matthew 13, 24. Jesus tells him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. That's great. That's the gospel going out. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants come and say, where did the weeds come from? Verse 28, an enemy did this, he replied. Okay, that's the story. And once again, the, the disciples hear the story, they're like, okay, so there's a farmer and there's seed and there's weeds and there's wheat. I'm not sure where you're going with this, Jesus. So like, just connect the dots for me. So he connects the dots. Verse 36 then he left the crowd, went into his house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. That's Christians, believers, the bona fide. And then he says, Weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. What is he saying? What does this mean? What is his ploy? Yeah, John? You've got um, in the visible church uh, those who are, uh, who are uh, called of God, predestined. You've also got some people out there, and particularly... Uh, some people that can rise to uh, uh, very prominent uh, teaching ministries. But uh, uh, I'm thinking particularly some of the uh, guys that uh, make a lot of money saying God wants you rich. Yeah, and they are what? They're, they're sons of the evil.
the sons of the evil one. Okay, so what John is saying is that in the visible church, in the apparent body of Christians, you've got Christians, wheat, like actual born-again, their lives are changed by Jesus, they love him, and Satan loves to put plants in the church. They're not his. They, they dress like Christians, right? Well, they're, they're Satan's. They're not God's. They dress like Christians. They talk like Christians. They act like Christians some of the time, but just enough to become convincing. But in fact, they're not believers at all. They're apt. They're, Satan has as a strategy. Let's, what, how great would it be for his purposes to have a bunch of pagan, godless pastors that are bringing dishonor on the name of Christ and making Christians look terrible? Isn't that a brilliant strategy? Let's have a bunch of people that are like, hey, we're going to preach on Sunday, be pedophiles the rest of the week. That's, that's a great play. Because think about the dishonor that you bring on, now, on, on the real Christians, right? We're going to have a bunch of people who claim to be Christians, but they're just exactly like the world. And they make everybody feel like, I know Christians because I, I know the fake Christians. I don't know they're fake. I think they're real. And I don't like them very much. I don't want to be among them. This is part of his ploy. So we shouldn't, when we, when we read the news all the time of like some Christian who did some ridiculous thing and brought dishonor on Christ, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be shocked if Satan has as a strategy specifically the planting of fake Christians throughout the community, right? Yeah. Strange question, Tim. Yeah. What about situations like in our culture now? You have folks on extreme sides of the issue, both of which think they are doing God's will. Yeah. Right. Okay. So here's the trick. Now, if we looked at this, so the question is, well, okay, so we see this happening. We see all kinds of people that claim to be Christians in, in very broadly divergent ways, like which ones are and which ones aren't. Now, I, I kind of ex, excerpted this, this passage, but when the, when the disciples come to Jesus, essentially they say like, okay, so should we go pull up all the weeds? And do you know what his response is? He says, don't, because you're too stupid. You won't know. Invariably, you'll think, oh, a weed, and you'll uproot it, and you'll pull the wheat with it, right? So it's a really troubling thing. We would love, wouldn't it be great if we could just go excommunicate all the people that we think, we happen to think, are the weeds. But Jesus says, listen, just this beyond your skill level. We'll save it to the end of time, and then we'll sort things out at the end. So what, what that means is that sometimes, you guys, I think, well, I think, I'm pretty sure, I think I'm wheat, I think I'm in him. I think I love him. I think my life is manifested that he is my treasure. But we could show some highlight reels of me looking pretty weedy, right? And so sometimes it's really hard to tell. We have moments where we're like, well, that guy can't be a Christian. Well, maybe he's not. But maybe, maybe he's a sinner and he needs the grace of Jesus. I guess it could be arranged. So I think we're, we, we shouldn't be surprised by the presence of the weeds but nor should we be overly confident on our ability to discern between right, them, right. right? It's a tricky, it's a really pretty tricky game. Sarah Lynn? I wanted to say or call attention to the word sleeping. Yes. Okay, Sarah Lynn said she wants to call attention to the word sleeping, and we're going to see this when we get to the flip side of this, of, okay, what are, we, what are we exhorted to do? And there's a huge biblical theme of be alert, right? Pay attention, be aware, which is the opposite of being asleep. And a lot of time, we're asleep, we're just lazy, and we're not attentive. Yeah, Bob? Sometimes those ones that the devil 
That's right. Yeah. Any. That's right. Yeah. Did God really say? Let's, and so, any good liar knows you don't come out just like super crazy off the off the edge. You just kind of like mix it in, mm-hmm. and we start to slowly change the mix, right? And this is just, this is just go to. Okay, let's keep going. So we're just trying to see what does he do? He's a liar. His deceit is everywhere. He is going to um, hide the truth. He's going to put fake Christians in. See, again, these are all expressions of deception. By Ephesians 2, though, we get to kind of what Kelly was talking about. As for you, you were, he's talking to Christians before, he's talking about the time before they were Christians. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. That's all language for, for Satan. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So there's something here that we can just follow away our desires. Now, not all your desires are bad. In fact, desire is a gift. God gave you desire as the as the incentive system to get you to do stuff, right? The reason your body gets replenished and repaired so that you can live the next day is because he made food taste good, at least some of it, right? And so your, your desire is supposed to lead you on, but desire was the front row when the fall happened, and your desires are now wholly unreliable. Some of your desires are good. Some of your desires are fantastic, and you should feed and nourish them. But some of them are pretty sideways, and it may be, might be hard to tell. And so that's an e- this is easy, easy work for Satan. You've heard, you've heard the great like, evil trifecta, the world, the duh, and the duh. Do you know this? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Is this a paradigm you're familiar with? And when people talk about, you know, you know, did the devil make me do this? Did the devil make me do that? Well, I mean, maybe. Right? There's a place that he does this. But the truth is, in a lot of days, I don't need any help. Right? He doesn't need, it's not, I'm not that hard to tempt in certain ways. Some things would be very hard to tempt me to because that just doesn't appeal to me. But other things are like delicious to me. And so he will, he will tempt us and, and invite us to gratifying the cravings of our nature, in particular in ways that are really contrary. So it's curious if we, if, you know, there's a car crash and we lose our job and all these things happen and we think that's spiritual warfare, I wonder if we might do better to think, oh, I am really eager to go do this thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really drawn into this conversation with this coworker that's not my, not my husband, that's not my wife. That, you guys, that's, I would say that's more likely that spiritual warfare is happening there than in your car accident. Mm-hmm. Certainly there's more biblical evidence that if Satan wants to play with you, he's going to work with your desires more than he's going to work with your, you know, electrical systems. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Okay, so that's Ephesians 2. Let's go one more. 1 Timothy 3, listen to this. He says, the overseer must be, and then he gives us all kinds of things. This is, this is the rules for elders, right? This is all these, and I, I kind of cut it out of that for the sake of space, but what, what do we need to have true be, be true of our elders? All this list of things. Um, and then he gets to this, and he says, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Okay? He uses deception. He makes false Christians. He um, hides the truth. He tries to go after our... He tries to get us to gratify our nature. What else does he do? 
What would he love to, what seed would he love to plant in your heart? Pride, Pride, right? Because this is money. If I can just get you thinking that you're better than everyone else, think of what, think of the doorways we just opened up. If you think you're better than, well, you tell me, if, if you think you're better than somebody else, what does that give you permission to do? You can judge them. What else? I mean, there's a thousand things. You can condemn them. Great. I can ignore because they're just so stupid. Like, who cares what they think, right? They're not as smart as I am. Their views are, frankly, not really that that meaningful. What else can we do? Lie to him for his own good. Sure. You know, he's so stupid. We should probably just we'll just lie to him for his own good. He's not he's not nuanced enough to kind of walk down this path. So we'll just kind of package it off. We can mistreat him because he's not nearly as great as we are. So if he has to suffer, well, he probably deserves it. He's not as whatever I conceit myself with, with being, right? So, man, what a, what a thing. And not only that, but then once I'm, what, what, are the, what are the downsides, not just how I mistreat people, but what are the eventual downsides to me, to actually me, if I'm living in some, you know, imaginary conceit? How's that going to end? Well, sure, right? I'm great. I'm golden. I'm, I'm rich. I'm smart. I'm athletic. I'm whatever I am. I'm, I'm great, so I don't need anybody including Jesus, right? Very good. Especially if I'm conceited about how moral I am. Look at how righteous, self-righteous I am. I don't need a savior at all. I became an elder at age 25. Look at me, right? That's, that's what he's saying. Don't, don't put a young guy in a position of spiritual authority because then he's going to get all cocky and arrogant and he no longer needs the savior that he's advocating or once was advocating for because he's so, he's so grand. All kinds of bad stuff. So he's looking at his playbook. I'm going to lie to him. I'm going to make false Christians. I'm going to, uh, what's the other bird thing? I'm going, to, I'm going to hide the truth. I'm going to get them conceited. I'm going, to, I'm going to whisper to them how grand they are. I'm going to invite them. Just go ahead, do it. It feels good. It'll be fun. Obey your thirst. These are all his go-to ploys. And then here's one more. This one's pretty interesting. 2 Corinthians 2. Listen to this, verse 10. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. What I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Did you catch the theme? Is it too subtle? Forgive, forgive, forgive. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. He has a scheme He is seeking to outwit you. And if he can get you to harbor unforgiveness in your heart, then it's like, it's a gotcha moment. Quig Lawrence, how long have you been the pastor here? 31. 31 years. Have you ever seen anybody leave Church of the Holy Spirit because they got all mad at somebody and wouldn't forgive them? There was some dissension and then the relationship split and people left the church. More than once? Lots more than once. Think about that. What, why would you leave this church? Well, here's a great reason to leave the church because you hate that guy. Right? And if there won't be a reconciliation and a restoration in the relationship, then that is, that is points for Satan. He loves that stuff. If I can harbor unforgiveness and just wish they're the worst, they're terrible, you should never forgive them. If you do, they're just going to hurt you again. That is a scheme. And Paul claims that we're not unaware of his schemes. I think we're unaware of that scheme a lot, right? I think we have been outwitted in this regard way too many times to count, right? So this is what he does, right? He, 
primary weapon is deceit, all kinds of forms, fake Christians stealing the truth, appeals to our lowest cravings or pride or conceit, and he tricks us into withholding forgiveness. Now, there's probably other things that are both revealed in Scripture um, that I didn't include in this sheet um, and other things that maybe Scripture doesn't even speak to. He's not limited by that. He may have thought of some new ideas. But this is the sort of stuff that we should be on the lookout for. Spiritual warfare is more likely to come in these forms that the Bible speaks about than in uh, maybe some of the things that we tend to imagine about it. So far, so good? Questions about that? Or, or is, there, is there a passage that I failed to include that you'd be like, yeah, what about this where it says that Satan does that? Anything obvious that I missed? Yeah, Funk? Uh, Joe. Joe. Okay, so um, okay, so just I'll do this because you're not on mic. So Job, the essential story of Job is that God gives Job permission to, I mean, all kinds of stuff, right? The house collapses, his kids die. So this would be an example of the onslaught kind of approach that Satan is given permission to 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 interfere in his life. You kind of see that a little bit in Peter too, where Jesus says Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat. Right? And so we do have an expressions of that. That's a, that's a great example. Anything else that we're missing as we're trying to flesh it out? Ruth Ellen? I may have missed some discussion. When you're talking about fake Christians getting in the church, that's yeah. typically. Do you think that the people know they're fake Christians? Probably not. So, yeah, Ruth Ellen asked a question. If you're talking about fake Christians, do people know they're fake Christians? Are people like, hey, hey I'm secretly this, but I'm going to pretend to be that? Um, I mean, some might. There might be particular bad actors, but I think it's more likely the case that, that people don't know that they're not really his. They're just going along with whatever social pressure, social culture they've been, they've been a part of. I think that's more, more likely to be the case. Um, but, I mean, I suppose all sorts of things are possible. Yes. So I forget, what, if you find that, anybody know, there's a parable where Jesus basically says about, like, if you clean a house, and he's, essentially it's a metaphor for, like, driving the demons out of somebody's life, then what can happen is they all just, more of them just come flooding right back in. And the idea is just as nature hates a vacuum, like our souls hate a vacuum. And that if you are trying, like, if you're trying to stop doing something, you necessarily have to begin doing something else. Because if you don't, you're just gonna you're just gonna fill it in. I mentioned to you guys last week that I have this is this is not demonic. Well, maybe it's demonic. I don't know. But like I've stopped reading the news because it's just too toxic. And I I really encourage you to do this. There's a toxicity here with social media and the news that is prob- problematic. And so, but I I probably read five hours of news on my phone every every week. And so I've in- intentionally gone through and I have like. I've bought some games to have something that, like, a, it's a fidget toy. Um, I have um, become interested in a couple, of, a couple of different sites. I found some brain teaser thing this morning that's like brain exercise. And so I'm going to start doing that because I need to, if I don't, then I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do something on my phone. I'm just going to, like, I'm going to burn those minutes. And if I'm not reading the news, I need something to do, right? Well, if we're not thoughtful about what we fill in the gaps with, then the gaps will get filled in without thought. And that creates an opportunity for an enemy to say, hey, you know, it's a great idea. Stop, stop reading the news so much because that's bad news. Try some porn, you know, like, oh, great, you know. So we need to be thoughtful about what we fill in those, those gaps with. Jennifer? That was Matthew 12, 45. That's the story, Matthew 12. So right, that's interesting, right before the Matthew 13. So there's a lot of 
demonic stuff going on in that, in that section of, of Matthew. Matthew 12, Matthew 13, you might go back to that. DFP? The, one of the passages that really kind of, think of it as kind of Satan's vision statement is the kill, steal, destroy. Yes. That that's what he's come for. And so these are the schemes, but that's the goal. Yes, very good. So John, this is John 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We're going to see that a little bit next week and the week after. That's the eye on the door and I'm the, I'm the good shepherd passage. That his, his end goal is exactly that, to steal, to kill, to destroy. That's, that's his, whatever, and whatever means he can get us there, he's going to pull all sorts of levers. Okay, so that's the revela- or some of the revelation, at least, of what he tends to do. So we want to be on guard against all that. But we also have specific instruction about how we are to wage the war. So take a look. What are we to do? Ephesians 4. This one shouldn't surprise us. Therefore, this is 425. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Well, that makes sense, right? The antidote for a lie is going to be the truth. If he's a liar, we're not going to participate in that. Look at this. In your anger... Do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Does that remind you of anything we just said? What, 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 is the, what scheme is this pointing to? Unforgiveness. The unforgiveness, right? Exactly what he says, right? We don't want Satan. We, we want to forgive people so that Satan doesn't unwit us. We're not unaware of his schemes. Then he says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. That means that when I'm living when I'm angry with somebody and I'm just going to nurse it, when I'm ha- you know the imaginary conversation, and then they say this, and then I say this, and then I would say this back. Do you do this, this thing? That's a foothold. That's an opening. And I have to be like, because I love that game, and I have to be really conscious to like shut down the imaginary conversation and have a real one. Because it's just so fun to just rip them up real good, and nobody even has to be there. And, I, and then I would say this, and wouldn't I be witty, you know? And so it's a foothold. Verse 28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, must work, doing something useful with his hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Wow. So one of, this, one of these directions is to be others-focused. He doesn't just say, get a job so you can feed yourself. He says, get a job so you'll have something to share with someone else. How many of you go to work to earn money specifically so you can give it away? That's what he's saying. Do something. Be useful so that, not so that you're not a taker, not to get to neutrality, but so that you become a giver. I have abundance. I got more than I need, and I'm going to give it away. These are things that might, might be part of that battle. Ephesians 6, I'm not going to read. This is the passage that, that got us here. Ephesians 6, we looked at this last week, but it would be crazy to not include this. But we've, I think we've kind of talked through all this, how much of it is focused on truth, the flaming arrows of the evil one, which I really think are chiefly his lies. Look at this one. First Thess 5, verse 4. He says, But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. First Thess is all about the return of Christ, by the way. First and second Thess is just filled with language about Jesus' return. Then he says in verse 5, You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like the others who are, Sarah Lynn, asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. 
But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. You notice anything, what, anything strike you there in 1 Thess 5? It might be more if we looked at Ephesians 6 first. But you hear the echo to Ephesians 6? It's, I mean, we always think, if I said spiritual armor, you probably would just say Ephesians 6. But you could say Ephesians 6, but also 1 Thess 5. It's the same, same idea. It's a slightly different application of the metaphor, but the same thing. But the framework of it here is that we are to be alert and self-controlled. I th- what, do you, what do you guys think are Satan's greatest lies? If you had to give his like top two, three, five lies, what would you, what would you put on there? Our identity. identity. What do you mean by that, Barb? Identity, okay. So he wants us to not know that. Maybe not know that we're, what, forgiven, that we're loved, that we... Are there any particular things? The whole package, all of it. Yeah, none of these things are true. Excellent. And I heard something back. What? Tommy? We can hide our own sin on our, through our own ways. Sure, yeah. He's going to want to say, we don't, we don't need it. Maybe you don't have a Savior. You don't need a Savior. You got this. It's great. What else? Barbara? That God's not good. That God is not good. Okay, this is, this is the very first lie. Did God really say? That's what, that's what, what Satan is saying to, to Adam in the garden is, or to Eve. Did God really say that you can't eat of this? He's basically saying, man, he's holding out on you because that stuff is a pomegranate or whatever it was is delish, right? So it's to question the goodness of God. Kelly Sue? Um, when you're tempted by anything, to just say, go ahead, give in, indulge, because it's forgiven anyway. That's right. So just have it. That's right. And, is, and, and, and that's going to flip though, right? It's like So before sin, the thing is, it's not a big deal. Like just have at it. And then after sin, it's like, man, there is no hope for you. Right? So on both sides of that, there's going to be this great deception. Okay? So we're, we're trying to be alert to all of these things. Yeah, Lily? Also that he is greater than God or even that he is greater than God in us, that he is yeah. the authority. Right, sure. So this whole day, I will ascend to the tops. Right? The language out of Ephesians, I mean, uh, Isaiah 14 is that I will ascend to the tops. I'll be like the most high God. You're going to love that. Yeah, man? Um, that he does not exist. Okay. And this... Is what I was trying to get to. So thank you. How old are you? Seven. Seven. All right. Y'all just got owned by a seven-year-old. Well done. This is, I think, his, his primary thing is like, there's nothing to see here. Yeah. Right? So how can you be alert for an enemy that you don't believe exists? You, 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 you won't be. You can't be. He loves this. There's no such thing. It's fantasy, fairy tale. Most people would think that it's reasonable to believe in God. It's totally loopy and silly to believe in the devil. What's, why? I don't know why, I don't know, but that, that thing is in really, really deep. Number one, I think is, there's nothing to see here. So well done, okay? You can't be alert, you won't be alert. Like if I told you guys, like if I'm up here like you guys, you know, I don't know, the alien invasion is coming, like it's coming. It's gonna be here within, within by the end of the week, like the saucers are coming and they're sort of zooming us up and doing all that they do. Is anybody going to be alert for that? Why not? It's all stupid. You don't buy it, right? And if Satan is in that category, then you're not. Then when you're withholding forgiveness, 
from somebody, it's never going to cross your mind like, oh, I, I felt, I got, I got duped. I've been outwitted. It's not even going to enter your mind. You're just going to think, yeah, I'm withholding forgiveness because that guy's terrible. And you don't even know you're getting played. Good grief. How often are we like that? So there's this invitation to be alert. Shows up again in Peter. Be self-controlled and alert. Listen to him. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. All of this playbook, it's a real thing. We're not kidding. This isn't like Christians, you know, who wrote this book are a bunch of backward, ignorant, non-scientific dupes. Okay, that, that whole concept, sure. That's a, that's a great strategy to get you to disbelieve in the fact of personal, intentional evil that influences us. Bob? Interesting. I did not make that connection. So, yeah, so Peter heard Jesus say, watch, be alert, and he falls asleep three times, and then everything goes a little bit sideways for Peter from that point on. That's fascinating. I bet that was self-controlled. Keep your eyes open. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then Peter says something that James is going to say in the next passage. Listen, he says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. People have pointed out that the, um, the armor of God in uh, Ephesians 6 is largely defensive. It's breastplates and helmets and shields. It's like, it's, it's brace kind of stuff. And what Peter is explicitly saying is resist him. So when you are tempted to gratify your sinful nature, to withhold forgiveness, to believe a lie, to tell a lie, he says, just don't, just, just so stop. So like, so I know, I know there's pressure. You're getting pulled, you're getting tugged. Everything in your nature wants to lash out. You want to do this thing. He's like, I know, I know, I know. I feel the same way, but like, just wait, resist, hold out. I was, I was, this is a silly thing, but I was with Kelly in the car once and I was, we were driving somewhere. I don't know, we were eating something in the car and there was no water. We were eating Triscuits maybe, I don't know, something salty. And I was thirsty. And she, Kelly just said to me, she's like, she's like, just wait five minutes. Your thirst will go away. And it worked. Did you know that? You can just kind of like, it just kind of falls out of mind. And then whatever, your spit overwhelms the salt and everything's better. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes sin is like that. Like you might be all, you know, ready to respond in some way to do something. Well, can you, can you get through it? Can you resist? And then a better moment comes along. James says the same thing. Resist him, right? Submit, he says, uh, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's an a- this is an actual strategy in the game. Don't give in, okay? Don't give in the first minute. Maybe you can make it to five minutes. Maybe, and maybe, maybe what you need to do is strengthen. Just like you can, first, you know, you can run a half a mile, then you can run a mile, then you can run three miles. Well, build up your capacity to resist the temptation. Find a way to get through it rather than giving into it. Because if you give into it, well, then it just becomes so much easier the next time and the next time and the next time. So we, we develop a strategy to resist and then to do this. And we're going to end with this one because this is the biggie. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And the flip side of that is come near to God and he will come near to you. And this is the, this is the primary. We're ending on the big one. The primary strategy of how do we wage spiritual warfare? We walk closely with Jesus. 
if I'm with him, if I'm getting, you mentioned this earlier, Robin, like if we're daily getting time with him, I'm meeting him in his word, I'm spending time in prayer, I'm with his people, I'm showing up for church, I'm talking to people that don't know him about him. If he pervades my life, if he's everywhere in my life, I'm resourced. I move to him, he moves to me. The good news is he often makes the first move, right? We draw near to him and he draws near to us because he's already drawn near to us. But if I will be responsible in that and I'll be with him and I'm in his word, I'm less temptable. I'm less dupable. I'm less inclined to withhold forgiveness because I've got a, I get it. He forgave me again. And that resources me to forgive again. Right? I'm living, if I'm living in that place, I'm not nearly as susceptible. But if I am the average American Christian who goes to church, I don't even know the numbers. What is it, Quig? Like once a month or something, you know? And then I'm going to be in a different place. I'm going to be in a very different place. In fact, do this. I know that I'm on an anti-news and social media tirade, but think in your brain of the number of minutes a week that you are either on Facebook, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever your go-to is. Just maybe it's 20 minutes a week. Maybe it's three hours a week. Maybe it's like me and it was more like, you know, five hours a week. Kind of figure. And now how many minutes a week are you in the scriptures? What's the ratio? Is it an even fight? Or are you getting like 2 to 1, 5 to 1, 20 to 1, 50 to 1? What's, what are the primary influences in your mind? If you're getting all kinds of the word of man all day long, let's throw in a little bit of TV, a little bit of Netflix, okay? How, so there are authors of content, and you're, you're consuming their content. Grand total number of minutes. Two hours, 10 hours, 15 hours a week. What's over here? If you're, if you're getting, you know, if you're like 10 to 1, the vision of the world versus the word of God, should it be shocking? Should it be at all surprising if our instincts are not to move towards grace and understanding and love and forgiveness and holiness and instead to like rage and defensiveness and gratification? Of course. I mean, you're influenced by the air that you breathe, by the water that you drink. And what James is telling us is draw near to him. What if, what would happen if it was like three to one the other way? That you're getting like easily, you're getting an hour a day alone in the scriptures, reading it, pondering it, discussing with your friends, and you're getting 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day of all this other dribble. Do you feel like you might change your life? That's where the spiritual warfare is being fought. If I were Satan, and I'm not, but if I were Satan... My go-to play would be to control your diet. The ideas that are coming into your head. This is what normal looks like. This is the good life. If I could control that, I could make you dance like a puppet on a string. And I think that's not very theoretical. I think that's what he's doing. He's controlling the narrative in most of our lives because we are not controlling the diet of what we consume. So I'd be thoughtful about those things. Okay. Anybody want the final word? Pushback question. Lily. Are we doing more spiritual warfare next week? 
Um, I wasn't. I was planning on moving through back through Ephesians. Some other questions on Ephesians, but not directly on this. Is there more that you think we should talk about? Um, we didn't really touch on worship, and I was thinking about. And so when I, like especially when I talk to my children, the examples that I use are Jericho and Jehoshaphat. And so that's one of Shem's favorite stories. Um, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, those massive victories that God brought mm. on behalf of his people were when they worshipped. Yeah. It was, um, like Second Chronicles, when they began to praise him, God set an ambush against them and they all killed each other. But the people sought God first. They tried to get where, I mean, first off, Jehoshaphat was like, call a fast. You know, pay attention, seek the Lord. Yeah. And then in utter submission and humility, they heard his voice through through a man who received a prophetic word. But and then the act of faith, I think we need to be active in in being risky in the way that we have faith. Um, you know, they went out to this horde that would have defeated them. But I think we need to claim yeah. victory and speak those truths. I mean, in Philippians, you know, think on these things that are good and lovely and excellent. And these are real tools. And yes. I think, that, I think we often feel defenseless, but we are not because he has equipped us and he's, and he's qualified in us and he's given us his spirit. Yeah. So it's just, I think that there are, I don't know, I would just, like even in prayer, like recently there was a time when we were praying with our kid about a particular issue and I said, do you feel better? And he said, no. But when we worship and the spirit brought it to my mind, that was when the whole thing stopped. Just a dead stop with this behavior that was very troubling. And so just to say that we can receive that deliverance in our own homes by praying for healing, by worshiping God. I mean, these are powerful. Yeah. Okay. Let me try to re let me see if I can replay that because folks may not have heard you. So Lily is essentially saying that that one of the things we really haven't discussed, and she's right, one aspect by which we draw near to God, but we didn't really double click on it, is worship. That singing of His praises, extolling His worth, speaking of His excellence, has some kind of powers to to transform us. And you experience this. The nature of music is that it's magic, right? That's just. This is part of the deal. The way that God made the world is as we sing, as we praise, as we lift our eyes off our circumstances, as we Philippians 4 our way into thinking about things that are excellent, praiseworthy, and lovely, then that has a transformative power. And so one of the, one of the weapons that we have, one of the opportunities that we have is not just to pray, not just to read, not just to do these things, but to sing to him, to worship to him, to extol his greatness. And that's a really powerful tool that she has seen um, have, a, have a pretty significant impact in her own, not only her own life, but in her, in her, in her children's lives. And so amen to that. And I would, I would put that under one of the ways that we draw near to him, whether it's by listening to worship, whether it's by being, by being caught up in something that we're reading. We worship, or you can worship. Bible, reading the Bible can be like just dry data. I mean, and that's, there's value to data. But it can also catch us up with wonder and amazement at the richness of his love um, and what, he, what he's prepared for us or how he's done it, the, you know, the astonishing nature of the gospel. So... Worship and praise is a huge tool we have to defeat Satan. And Kelly, final word, then we got to go. Just a reminder that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that when you're thinking about spiritual warfare, you can start to think it's up to you and what you're doing, your morality, and your ability.
Amen. So, yeah, so it's not a fair fight. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. It's not me against the devil. It's Jesus against the devil. And Jesus is the victor in that, right? And unless we turn spiritual warfare into a morality play where we are the heroes, it's always going to be. It's, we, we saw this last week, right? The armor that Paul tells us to put on, it's Jesus' armor, right? It's literally, it's, it's, it's Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 59. It's his armor. We're, we win the battle when we dress in his righteousness and all that he has given us, not as we kind of gut it out on our own. All right, done. That's it. We'll see you next week. Stick around. Did anybody not get one of these? The one.